This is Pam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Victoria Raider. Is that the way I should say your name, Victoria Raider? You sure do. Good. Uh, you are a possibility coach and the founder of You to Shine, and um, I'm glad to have you on the program today. We want to let people know that we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. So if you use coupon code GHOST to get one month free premium subscription, the Family Electric Ghost podcast is on Newsly. And this episode will be on Newsly later tonight. So this is episode 915 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast. And we're going to talk about uh, scared to sacred transformation how-tos. And um, maybe want to start from um, maybe describing what a possibility coach is. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and for your beautiful patience and help as I was fighting the phantoms of the internet <laughs> signing on. <laughs> and uh, possibility, the way I define manifestation and creation of our reality is turning a possibility into reality. That's simple. There's a lot of talk of manifesting. Manifesting is taking a possibility, claiming it to be your own, and then applying it on a spiritual, practical daily level that's the process of manifesting and until you know that something is possible you cannot create it more importantly you might know something is possible but you're not sure it's possible for you and that is where possibility coaching comes in as a coach and as a speaker i have the capacity to point out the hidden possibilities bring them into an awareness of a client or the audience, and then take them from that possible for somebody to practical possible for me, and then empower them day by day, month by month, year by year as needed to make those possibilities their realities. Hence, Possibility Coach. So how do you define um, manifesting? In this, in relation to uh, being a possibility coach, yeah, manifesting is turning a possibility into reality, into your reality. You know, we all understand that prosperity is possible for somebody somewhere at some time, but manifesting is bringing that possibility into your daily reality and saying, if it is possible for someone. And if it is authentically wanted by me, then it is possible for me, it is probable for me, it is doable by me, and this is how. And the whole process of authentically wanted by me is where I believe most people are stuck because they are trying to manifest or create something that somebody else wants for them, something that their guilt wants for them something in their duty wants for them, but not what their heart, their God, and their soul wants for them. And so for manifesting, the very first step, most important step, is to have the courage to truly discover what it is that you want that is in alignment with your highest and best. That's interesting because I'm, I'm a creative person, you know, I'm, I... I'm a podcaster, but I'm a musician. And um, a lot of creative people I've talked to, they kind of create this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy in that they go and they create their work and they have to believe in it. 
And if you're like a creator, you're a painter, you're an artist, you're an actor, you have to have a certain level of belief to actually get on that stage and the theatrics of it just to, to, to make it happen. And a lot of people I've talked to, you know, they want to be musicians or they want to be creators, but then they like, well, I can't really do that because I'm not good enough. Mm. Because somebody gave them a belief that wasn't a truth. And they told them like, you can never make any money doing that. You can't be serious that your artist is like, you need to do like a day job. And so I think like you have to have some level of, uh, uh, I know, uh, fearlessness to, to, to go and do what you really want to do. Because I think a lot of times you get these beliefs that are brought to you saying, hey, you, know, you can't be an artist. You can't make money being an artist. You can't be a chef or be a baker. You could you go and get a real job. Um, and then people don't actually fulfill their dreams until they find someone like yourself or, or a life coach or some kind of person to, to actually help them realize that they hit the wall and they don't want to be in that place anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us um, have been waiting for a stamp of approval or permission. We're still that three-year-old kid that is waiting for an invitation to come out of the timeout. I mean, some of us have put ourselves into a punishment timeout and the prison of our own making. You know, the first thing, the first I call, you know how when the heart stops, sometimes they shock it. So I tell people, it's important. The shock factor is very important because you're absolutely right that somebody at some point in our life has spoken a lie that has limited our potential. Well, the shock factor is, so what? Which part of you is choosing to believe them? You see, it's not their fault that they were limited in their view. They have somebody else to blame and blame goes all the way to the beginning of this universe. Mm -hmm. So it is not your fault that you've been pre-programmed through fear, but it's your responsibility or responsibility, your ability to respond to what it is that you want to create in your life. And what I truly find is that those that really want it, back to that want, find a way to overcome the fear. Those that think they want it, but don't want to put the effort to have it, choose the limiting belief as a survival mechanism. You know, those limitations have become our best friends. That they're, they're our most convenient and comfortable excuses. You know, it's my blanket to not grow. Don't take my blanket away. I'm going to be like all exposed, you know. So it, it goes back to I can see a need. You know, I had an immense opportunity. This story is really cool. How I've self-selected to be coached by Bob Proctor is one of the personal gurus who was in secret and so forth, you know, put second mortgage on my house actually to offer it to, to be able to afford it. But there was one point in that coaching. I call it my $50,000 point because that was the price tag for coaching. Bob set me down and he said, look, you want to help everybody who needs help. That's a disaster. You can only help people that want to be helped. Mm -hmm. So go not only where you're needed, but go where you are needed and wanted. So I've got to tell you, no coach, no spirit itself can move somebody who has no desire to move. But if a person has a desire to move, 
they will find a way. Your podcast is a way for somebody who has a desire to move, right? You know it and I know it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, like, the way I found this is, like, I'm a creative person. And somebody came to me back in 2016 and said, hey, I want to talk to you on a podcast. And I said, okay, what's that? Like, I didn't even know what it was. And so then the guy, the guy told me what it was. It's always like a radio interview show. So we did it. And then I was like, we had such a good vibe that we ended up doing a podcast together for like six months. And I didn't even plan doing that. And then I liked it so much that I went and started doing a podcast on my own. And then I said, why don't I go and find other artists like this guy found me and interview them? and just do it and see what happens. And since 2016, mm. you know, we did that. We're at 916 episodes. We've been able to monetize. We've been able to do all these things. And it just came out of, and some people, oh, well, that came out of nowhere. It's like, no, not really, because I had been putting myself out there as a musician. And then somebody came to me. And so it wasn't because it was out of nowhere. It was something I was doing with my music that got me into the podcast space. And then it introduced me to other audiences that weren't musicians. There are mm -hmm. other types of people like yourself. And so sometimes you, you, you get opportunities that kind of like the universe sends you like, like, like an, an alert and then you either hear it or you don't. And then you figure out what I like to do is kind of like a jazz guy that's kind of, Oh, I'm going to kind of riff with this and go see where it brings me. Oh, I love it. You know, it's so cool that you're saying it because, and this observation has just occurred to me, uh, and obviously coming to your to your beautiful podcast, you know, when you said you're not a musician, this is what I, I the language I use is that everyone is a musician, the instrument is different. <laughs> everyone is a musician in their life because music is, you know, seven bass notes, there are seven frequencies. When you study the energy body, human human energy body, there are seven main frequencies, seven energy centers, there are seven colors in the rainbow. Very few people understand that each color has a wavelength and a frequency and corresponds to a musical note. So, you know, God or creator universe is the musician. And I look at, I take it a step further and I say, you know, in creating this reality, I talk of six mental faculties. And then when they're played together, you have a harmony and you create a melody of your life, <laughs> you know? And so uh, I talk of your perception, that's number one, then imagination, then intuition, then reason, memory, and will. So what you're describing so powerfully is that your perception, the way you speak and you describe reality, your perception is I'm open to perceive and receive opportunity. That's one perception. There's a different perception. If I come out from under this rock, somebody's going to hit me. That's a different perception, right? Yeah. And, but it's very important to know what your perception is. I say notice what you notice because what you notice and how you notice is what you're going to create more. And I've chosen as I say that because I have an image of you, you know, as a youngster listening to music, <laughs> noticing the beauty and the power of it. And noticing the beauty and the power of it has started wiring your brain 
for the second faculty, which is imagination. You see, people want to imagine things, they want to create things, but you cannot out-imagine what you can perceive because they're the same receptors in your brain. So once you perceive the beauty and the power and the expensiveness, expensiveness of music, you can imagine it. And then you, if you look at the tuning fork where one side is perception, one side is imagination, then you're in tune with the melody of your life. And we call it intuition. You become, in your case, musically intuitive. You're into the melody that is unfolding through you, that is tuning you to receive it through perceiving it, to send it out through imagining it. And then you are doing the same miraculous creation and manifestation that somebody has done before you because there's a young artist, a budding team who hears your music and it touches their heart in the same way that your heart was touched, right? So the process of creation is the same. Just in music, it is so much easier because we talk about tones and frequency, <laughs> you know, and in yeah. life, we forget that we are instruments. We are instruments and we go well, out voice, of tune. Well, your voice is an instrument. I always talk to vocalists, you know, kind of a producer and I'm a synthesis. And so being a synthesis, I'm a sound designer. So I actually use synthesizers. And I'm totally in tune with what you said, because in synthesis, we take waveforms. We take sine waves, cosine waves, ramp waves, triangle waves, all different types of waveforms. And we make them approximate things that you have not heard or things that you have heard. So we can make the waves sound like drums, so we can make them sound like piano or a horn, or it can make it sound like otherworldly things that you never heard like ambient music or white noise, pink noise, blue noise, things that like wind, uh, ocean waves, things crashing. And so the thing we've learned as a sound designer is I learned how these waveforms and rhythms in these sound structures affect people. So when, oh. you, when you get to be a sound designer, you can see the ambient sound can make somebody fall asleep. It actually can be used for like sleep therapy. Certain other types of sounds can make people very active and actually in a crowd get people kind of in a mosh pit or get people, you know, holding candles up or people dancing. This depending on what frequency you hit because people are, you know, are in tune to these frequencies. And then I said, wow, you know, if you use this as a podcaster or as a, you know, if you speak to an audience, it's like the listening skill of reacting as a musician, we look at our audience and we see how they react to notes in real time. Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing as, you know, as any, any form where you're actually communicating, you can understand how your voice is connecting or you could not pay attention. So mm -hmm. if you, if you open yourself up to see like, what is the audience reaction? Or are you just going to barrel through without looking at what's happening? <laughs> Absolutely. You're back to perception. And you know, there is a, a book that was written a while back. Your words remind me of that book. It was done by a Japanese scientist, Masaru Emoto. And that word brings the two fields together. It's called Hidden Images in the Water. I don't know whether you've heard about the book. Yeah. He took the water 
and he exposed it to different sound environments. And then he froze the water and he studied the crystal formation in the water. So when he would expose it, you know, to Tchaikovsky or some classic music, there was just these gorgeous formations. And when it was a heavy metal, and I'm sorry, if somebody's into heavy metal, the formations were a little bit more, you know, <laughs> catched, you know, they were just not as fluid. And so, and his whole point was that, wait a minute, we are at birth 95% water. As we mature, we dry up or about 76, 75% water but we are affected by the sound in a similar way to, you know very much to what you're saying is some words and or tones bring life and some of them take it away you know so it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation is that when a well-meaning parent set a child down and said stay put because you'll never make money with music they have programmed the vibration through a child's body to make it their dominant frequency, the energy that dictates how they create their life. And so somebody like you comes over or like me and says, says who? I was a shock to the system. (laughs) Says who? Why would you believe that lie, right? And so that's that shock and the new program comes in that you no longer have to choose between passion and prosperity that you can be prosperous in your passion. That's a way better program. It's a beautiful affirmation. Well, I think if you think about the way the internet is um, and the, the, what it's given people, is it got, got rid of the gatekeepers, right? So now if you're a creative person, whether you're a, a, a life coach, you're a shaman, you're an author, you're a an artist, you're, you're a business person. You have don't have these gatekeepers where you had to go to TV. You had to mm-hmm. go to the newspaper. And you had to be able to go through those certain structures that existed before. And now you can, if you think it or feel it or write it or create it or have an idea, you can bring it to a worldwide audience that's beyond your neighborhood. It's beyond yeah. your city. It's beyond your state. And once you start realizing that you can, you know, you make it so, you can make it so. You can make it happen. And regardless of what the taste is in your area, somebody usually will will dig what you're doing somewhere. <laughs> and, and so so the idea that you shouldn't put it out, and I run into a lot of artists that like they they kind of hold this piece of work and they're scared to show it. They might be really great, but they got this one piece. They're kind of really fearful of showing it to anybody. And what I always find is that piece that they don't want to show anybody is usually like the best thing they've ever done. Mm. And even though they're great, you know, they're an artist, they might not believe that is actually appropriate. And what I try to get people to do is show, show that. And I'd say there's a vulnerability in there. That I think that, you know, I think life coaches have the same kind of I- issue. As a producer, I'm trying to bring out somebody's best work by making them believe maybe what they're fearful of is, you know, or to, they don't want to be so open. And, mm-hmm. and, and when you can actually get somebody to take that hidden thing from when they were a kid and they're scared of it and they don't want to embrace it, it seems somewhat similar. I haven't had all these conversations with people. I see these, like, I try to find the parallels in life that, you know, I say, oh, you're talking about music, but it applies to a lot of other things, the same issue. You know, it's a fascinating observation that, you know, what could free us 
we keep under the deepest guard. I think it's a very profound observation, you know? Um, and I think it's very true. I think there are several things that play into it. Part of it is, I truly believe there is a law of timing. And I think on some, on, it's on some level, people hold on to what they feel is sacred to them until they feel encouraged by the right person. I don't think, you see, I don't think it's a coincidence that you get to be a person to bring it out of them because it is brought out in a way that is expensive mm. for them and is freeing for them. And I think that unfortunately, because in people's life, it has not always been the case, we're pre-programmed to keep what is near, what is dear very near to our heart and very hidden because in so many generations before us, we've been genetically programmed that when I take out something that is precious, it gets stolen, right? And so there is that fear of being stolen from, you know, I've done so much free stuff. It's so funny. And people are like, aren't you afraid that people are going to take it away? I said, what are you talking about? It's free advertisement. Because when a person takes from you, it, it never becomes theirs. It's like an awkward piece in yeah. their story. And eventually people find out where they got it from. So instead of you paying for an advertisement, you know, look at it. Okay, even if people take it and share it, it will come back to you. Maybe not in a way that you're planning on it, but I promise you in a much better way. Because once you plant the seed, it has to germinate. It has to come to fruition. It's the law of the harvest. You you reap what you sow. And once you let go of one precious thing, you give room to create so many more. Because <laughs> if you're holding it onto it for your dear life, you're stopping the creative process. You know, when you're hiding something, you cannot receive something probably much greater than what you're hiding. It's kind of like what happened to me when, you know, I had this SoundCloud and I was just putting this stuff out and I wasn't even making any money on it. I was putting songs out. And what happened is that podcaster found it and, and it got me into podcasting. Then podcasting became like a big leg of what I do. It's a part of what I do. It's not everything I do, but it wasn't. You know, so the putting stuff out for free, I said, well, why are you doing that? You, you're not making any money. But what happens is people find out who I am, you know, and from that situation, I've gotten like a certain segment of, of artists that will come to me and, and want to be interviewed because I was doing it and because I was out there because I put my own work out there. And then people found out, hey, he's a musician that talks to other musicians. And then not only does he do that, you get I got into this idea of expansive. I call my music expansive because I don't like to be tied to one genre. So I try to do like any genre I feel like. So I said, well, if I'm in a podcaster, I started out with just musicians. And then I said, you know, why don't I be expansive with the podcast? So why don't I talk to a shaman? I talk to a, a life coach, talk to a CEO, talk to a, to a film director, talk to whoever I thought was interesting. And then the idea was like, you know, everybody has this creative spark inside of them and everybody can be, can, you know, understands music like you, the way you talked about it. And there's this kind of music to your voice. There's a music to creativity. And whether you're a CEO 
an author or a life coach or a podcaster, there's a creativity in what you do. And you, you know, people can understand that if you think about the Beatles, how many people did they inspire? Mm. Not just musicians, all types of people to be creative. And so the idea of it is I said, well, how can I weave that? And then it became this thing as they kind of got bigger than what I expected. But, you know, that's how, you know, you if you b believe in what you're doing and you just let it expand and you don't worry about it. And you don't think about like, oh, I can make, you know, yeah, I think about trying to do things better, but I don't worry about making errors. That's why I do a live podcast because oh. I don't care about trying to make <laughs> oh, I love you, you know. because perfection is an unattainable lie. <laughs> you know <laughs> that that I tell perfection is unattainable lie that bad parents and bad creators tell themselves to stay in prison of their fear. You know I won't move forward until it's perfect, and and breaking through that fear is so huge because. I love the word expansiveness. You know, we we use it in parallel uh, language. Um, you know, we we started by saying and introducing the topic, the scared and sacred. You know, um, I can tell you how that concept was born because years ago, a client of mine came to me and she said, "I can't commit to things. I either overcommit and I can't deliver because I'm too overcommitted." And as a result, I'm terrified to commit. So I think a lot of people don't create because they're afraid to commit. And I, you know, I was going to give her a practical advice of commitment, of how it is to commit, why it is to commit. I literally opened my mouth to speak, and it was gorgeous because, you know, the inspiration spoke through me. And I told her, well, you already committed. You're just committed to your scared self. And all you have to do mm. is take that powerful commitment you already have and shift it to be committed to your sacred self. You don't need to be any more committed. You are so committed to being scared that commitment is not an issue. It is who or what you're committed to. You know, that's, and then when you look at the letters, I mean, I love that stuff because scared and sacred are the same letters Different with letter C shifted. And I call it a shift of commitment, right? It's just a powerful mnemonic device, shift of commitment. And so when you're fearful about something, you get to say, I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift my commitment. What would I do if I were not afraid? It is the most powerful question one can ask himself. What would I do if I were not afraid? What if it were possible for me to do it? What is the first step for me to take today towards that vision and then you take that first step and that starts shifting you out of that paralyzed scared and so then I said okay so what is scared and what is sacred and that's where that expensive comes in because there is a scared part of all of us it's not that I don't have scared parts of me it's not that that you don't have scared part of you we all have them and I call them a mortal matter yes everything is energy but there are parts of me that when the liveliness of me, the spirit of me leaves, will go back to Mother Earth. <laughs> and that's that mortal matter. And that mortal matter is what is terrified. And that mortal matter needs to materially manifest. That's the one says, does it make any money? Because it's got to manifest materially because it has to take care of the mortal matter needs. So it's always going to be there. It's important to not hush it is just important to know my job is to know you know they're there those voices are there and i'm gonna love them 
And then there is a big E. So when you look at how we spell me at our company, it's little M, big E. So that big E is also part of me. It's my sacred me. It's the eternal energy. Just like there is mortal, there is eternal part of me. Just like there is matter, there is energy. And just like there is material, there is essential. And just like there is manifesting, there is expansive. <laughs> so by you saying, I choose the expansive, what I hear is that I'm committing to my sacred every single day because that is the only way to be, right? Because otherwise, the option is I'll be shrinking back because I'm terrified because I'm committing to my scared. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the thing that started with the music was, you know, I, I got into the idea of, like, you know, electronic music initially. You know, I'm a piano player, too. But the idea that, you know, sound is electricity or in, within the synthesizer, it's totally direct. You take those waveforms and you make them turn into, you know, oscillators, create these sound waves and the sound waves are heard. And then you create pieces of work I call sound paintings. Right. So sound what? Sound what? Sound paintings. 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 Oh, love it. Okay. So it's an idea that George Martin from the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix mentioned. And when people ask them about, like, oh, Sgt. Pepper's Abbey Road, what are those things? And then the Beatles and, you know, their producer, George Martin, said, I like Monet. And I think of the studio like, like 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 a canvas. And the Beatles, we could either make them sound like they do live. Or we could use the studio like a canvas, like Monet, and have this various expressionistic vision of the music. And that point of view that George Martin and the Beatles had actually revolutionized music. Because music musicians started to realize, I don't just have to be limited to what I could do live. I could use the studio to create these sound paintings or these layers of music that are beyond what I might be able to play physically live. But the on album, I could create a concept like Sgt. Pepper's, mm-hmm. where it's way beyond what a normal band would normally do because you're layering stuff and you're telling like stories and you're making these sound visions or cinematic kind of visions of music. And I always thought that that was amazing. And Hendrix talked about the same thing on Electric Ladyland. And I'm like, wow. So you can try to do music that's beyond you know, expectation that crosses mm-hmm. in the cinematography or these sound paintings. And I think, you know, that's how people listen to music anyway. When you do write a song, most people have these visions in their head of what the song means because you're triggering that anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if you think that that's what, you, you know, if you actually start to dive into it, then you can get kind of lost in the art. And I just thought the idea of um, being able to do that as I do it because I just love it whether it makes money or not. But once it, you put it out there, people will find it. And then you don't worry about it because it just it finds the right right ears <laughs> or the right minds to hear it. I love it. I lo- you know, I loved it so I love it so much because you know you've mentioned that yes, sounds are electric. You know, every frequency that our brain processes is first process an electric level, I tell people your thoughts are electric. Every time you think something, there's an electrical synapse that goes and crosses the synaptic gap, whether it's sound or thought, it's frequency. So we are thinking electric beings. And then we know 
that electricity creates a magnetic field. That magnetic field for human being is an emotion and for a subconscious mind is a vision. <laughs> so electricity of a, of a sound or a thought creates a magnetic frequency or a field of a vision. And fascinatingly, going back to manifesting, it is that vision of electromagnetic field that goes through your body as a energy of vibration. That energy of vibration then goes and expands into the universe, bringing back to you the like. As you know, people are excited about the law of attraction. This is the very basics of the law of resonance. <laughs> the law of attraction is a simplified law of resonance. And so, and that is how it works both for an instrument and that is how it works for a body as an instrument of a spirit creating through us. But something you've said that gave me such a powerful insight is that layering the sounds creates this expensive painting of an imagination. That is the language that I guess I would now use to describe how deep programs are created. It's not just one thought damaging or loving. It is layers of those thoughts that create either a field of trauma that a person has to heal from, right? Or the field of expensiveness and freedom and dreams. So you've given me an amazing gift. I'm going to be chewing that one for a while i just love that i yeah, love that well i think yeah it's interesting because uh, i'm kind of jump a little bit to something that i was looking at that you have is this thing called the empower me app and then you have a small m and then a, a uppercase e and um i kind of wondering what's going on with the little m and what's the capital e in that me yeah, so you know it's kind of flowing into that. So Empower Dash Mia, first of all, it does use some music. <laughs> it uses it has three minute uh, meditations, and those in addition to all the other stuff. And the meditations are at the note for the energy center or chakra that you're opening up. It's gorgeous, mm -hmm. gorgeous work. And you know, just same same level of joy as for you to create music was for us to to create and be creating the app. So. That is that empowerment of me as mortal matter that manifests materially surrendering to the eternal energy. So what I say is that you become empowered to surrender your mortal to your eternal, your matter to your energy, your material to your essential, and your manifesting to your expansive. And it truly is a path of empowerment. So the app is created as a daily support um, it is very highly intuitively intuitively built app. One of the categories there, I don't know why it's coming through. Actually, I'm probably resonating at some of the pieces of your music that were written to process grief for someone. It's gorgeous. I've never listened to your music, but I feel the wave that builds up from processing into expansiveness. It's really gorgeous. One of the sets there is called My Grief. And what I found is that a lot of people can't create, won't create are traumatically unable to create because of the suppressed grief they carry. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to ask me what is the biggest block to manifestation, I would say one, lack of gratitude. Two, presence of grief. You put the lack of gratitude and immense amount of grief, and it is very hard to move that boulder of energy to be able to create. 
So if you tune into that, you kind of shake the phone or you click on the button and it tunes in to the energy of unprocessed grief that you carry. It gives you the validation for it, the visualization to release it, and then the verbal affirmation to say out loud with your hand on your heart to reset the energy through your whole body to vibrate at a new level of frequency of hope. So um, that's one of the many little aspects of that app. Well, I do notice is, um, you know, in order to move forward, you know, as a, as a creator, what we try to do is like, you know, and I'm a Buddhist in my practice is like, you know, when we chant, we bring what's inside, we bring it out. And we mm -hmm. have these like, affirmations that we actually speak out what we intend. Right. So when I'm, I'm a Nishiran Daishonin Buddhist. And so we, we have these ch chants that kind of focus on the, the law of cause and effect. So we, you know, we, you know, positive energy brings positive energy, negative brings negative. So if I start thinking, if I not only think of positive things, but actually say it, if I actually speak out while I'm chanting, you know, what I believe is a positive thought that's, that's going to be put it out in the universe, I'm going to connect with other positive thoughts in the universe and cascades. And the same, the opposite is the same. If I was thinking all these negative thoughts, it will cascade with all this negativity and get, you know, incrementally or exponentially bigger. And so the idea is to try to get your mind in the state where you're, you're thinking in a more affirmative, positive way. Yeah. And the power of the spoken word. And the reason for that is that when you speak, you're focused only on what you speak. You cannot be speaking and thinking something other than what you speak. <laughs> it's very powerful. So your words dictate the flow of a thought. So when you are affirming, you are affirming the positivity and you're aligning all of your thoughts into what you're speaking. Same is true for negative. Gratefully, negative energy is much slower. So it takes a gazillion of, of time saying I'm dumb to one time saying, I am powerfully inspired, I'm brilliant, right? That wipes out a lot of low frequency. Yeah. But we have conflicting thoughts in our mind that are quiet, that we're unaware of. And so the fastest, most powerful and consistent way to create what it is that you intend is through sounding it. And when you chant it, you sound it at a frequency that is repetitive. And it sets the pace, it sets the pace, it sets the pace, right? It allows yeah, yeah, for the repetition yeah. to set the pace. Yeah. Yeah, and we believe, you know, just, just in doing it. As a musician, before I was even a Buddhist, I just felt like if I create these, you know, sound paintings, or I create these soundscapes, and I take this energy that's inside and I bring it out, I put it out in the universe and it always made me feel better. It was very cathartic. It was like therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And I found other musicians like, you know, the act of just practicing, whether or not I was actually going to play in front of anybody, just creating the music. It just kind of calms me down in the same way that I chant. It's the same thing for me. Like it's if mm -hmm. I sit at my piano and I just play for two hours, whether I was trying to do something or not, just it kind of just, you know, after doing a, a, a you know, a day job, but, you know, being able to actually kind of get in that state with the music, like when you're when you're playing a, a, a piano, it's hard to think about your job. It's hard to think about other things. What happens is 
those emotions come out in the keys. They come out as a musician. You, you can feel the happiness or the melancholy or whatever you're feeling comes out in how you play. And so it becomes like a way of kind of connecting with what's inside becomes outside. And there's like this synergy. And, you know, it's hard to describe if people aren't musicians, but anybody who's an artist can kind of feel that when you do a painting or if you're a photographer, what you see and what you chose to take a picture of, it's kind of like that it becomes that affirmation. Well, I think you're describing also the process of flow, right? For somebody who, because the people say, I'm not creative. Everybody's creative. If you're breathing, you're creating something. Might as well be aware of creating what you want. You know, it's just very important to realize. And so mm -hmm. um, there was the book, uh, golly, the guy's name is so hard to pronounce. I'm like, I'm going to butcher it. But there was a book that was called <laughs> The Flow. And the um, he's done this beautiful, powerful research of a concept of being one with that state of peaceful consciousness where things are happening through you. You know, for me, for, this, for the stages of empowerment, the way I break it down is, and I'll kind of tie it into what you're describing, is that when you feel most powerless, you feel things are happening to you. You know, oh, I got fired from work, it happened to me. Or I got cheated, it happened to me. Or oh, whatever happened to me, it makes you feel powerless. Then you pause and you say, those same things that happened to me, were also happening for me because it was a lesson for me to learn. It's the first level of going from powerlessness to, I call it power hungry, and Les Brown calls it power hunger. The issue is, if you stay at power hunger, you want to make everything happen for you, you become an overachieving narcissist. <laughs> because, <laughs> yes, you're no longer powerless, but you're now shifting into the degree of power where it's like, oh, that's got to happen for me. And, that, you know, and it's just a dangerous trap of personal development that people don't talk about because there's just never a sense of fulfillment because there is a higher mountain to climb. And you're like out of mountains and you're still running around hungry. You know, it's power mm -hmm. hunger. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is the true empowerment where you pause long enough and instead of life happening to you or love happening for you, you give permission for life to happen through you. And when that flow of life happens through you, inside out, as you're describing, you are becoming a tool and a source of creating life. And that to me is a process of true empowerment. You're no longer attached to accolades and social proof because deep inside, you're experiencing a sense of fulfillment and peace. When you experience that sense of fulfillment of peace, then you arrive at your purpose. And when you relentlessly pursue your purpose through peace, through serving others by creating through your purpose, prosperity follows. So many people want shortcut to money at the expense of their inner peace. And that, that is a trap that leads to soul destruction. Yeah. yeah. What I find is like, you know, it's the kind of that peace of mind I get from just like the idea that, you know, I'm a poet before I was a musician. And I like the Victorian poets they used to have these concepts of like the muse, right? 
So if you read like uh, Thoreau and Blake and Wordsworth and Tennyson, there's this idea that they like, and I believe musicians, we believe it too, because we believe like when you're in that flow, you're in that zone, you kind of feel like you're tapping into the muse or it's coming through you. But the thing is, is like, yeah, there's this universal thing you connect to that's like all the music that's ever been written. And it's what you've experienced and what you like as a musician and then your own personal feelings and then stuff that's outside you. I think what happens is we become a, a, a kind of, we can channel that. A musician or a creative person is able to connect to the, the inside and the outside kind of simultaneously and they have their influences and they have their original ideas and I all kind of collides and it just becomes like, then that becomes like your unique vision, which is informed by other things. It's not totally just you, but you've connected to like this whole stream of things that are just out there. And that's why when people go listen to a piece of music and say, oh, this piece came from like Bach or this piece came from Coltrane or this piece came from Stevie Wonder. It's like, yeah, because these things are in your head and you're reinterpreting it. And when it comes out, it's like kind of a hodgepodge of things that kind of start to connect and start to weave together. And mm. then when you feel like you don't have the fear that you can just let it be, then that's when you feel like the confidence, like I'm actually moving forward because I'm kind of processing all this stuff. And then it's me making me go forward and there are no mistakes. You could take, you know, 99 tracks, that that hundredth track is the one you put out, but all those 99 led to that 100, right? And so then that, you, you could say, well, those 99 were failures. No, they weren't. That's how you got to the hundredth track. The one that you actually put out is because the amalgamation of everything you were going toward. And so it, it nothing was a failure. It just was a journey. Feedback, feedback. <laughs> no failures, just feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like you you learn from from you know everything you did before, and maybe it wasn't something that you decided to share, but it, at the end of the day, all those things became part of what you did share, you know. So your experiences, whether you thought that you made a mistake or whatever, is how you recover from a mistake. I kind of talk about it in your jazz band, jazz fusion band. We can kind of we don't really know where we're gonna go, right? but we have kind of a framework where we can go off, kind of go into this chaos and then come back, go into a chaos and come back, go into individuality and then come back into uniformity. And it kind of flows between all those different states. And people are like, well, how can you do that? Well, because you have to trust each other. You have to trust each other and then you connect and there's like nonverbal communication going on and you feel it. It's very kind of hard to describe, but I think anybody can kind of get the idea is this a kind of flow state and you have to accept certain things. And I say that's yes, what it when is. When the divine the when the divine becomes your conductor, you know, in a way. And as we all understand or want to understand the concept of oneness. And I think what has happened is that there's a confusion of oneness meaning sameness but it couldn't be further from the truth and yeah. what you're describing. And what I believe is true is oneness means uniqueness to such a distinguishable, beautiful degree that every piece in that gorgeous puzzle of humanity 
is necessary, is needed, is present, is appreciated. And that is how we become one, you know? Uh, and I, I love your description because it's like taking, if we were to describe Muse as a beautiful, radiant, clear energy being poured through you and through me at the same time, it will go through different nervous system, genetics, through life experience, and those will color how it comes back out. So we, we are in tune with the same process of beauty, and we express it through who we're wired to be. And yet, because it is the same principle of beauty, it resonates with everybody else who is seeking to express it. So when you have, you know, a group of musicians jazzing or a couple finishing each other's sentences or business associates all waking up at five in the morning with the same creative idea, it is because you're tapping to that beautiful gift of oneness because you no longer want to command everybody to be sane. You allow everybody to be unique. You step into your authenticity and then you can contribute fully. Yeah, I think it's hard to, though, because we've been in a kind of industrial age. Yes. One of the things that kind of shifted before the industrial age, you had all these artists that would make very unique things. Everything, yes. nothing was uniform. There was no, you know, copyright. There was like, it was all, everybody's, everybody's artist and was like different. What they did, Taylor was a unique tailor. You know, Blacksmith, the way he did it was unique. Everybody was doing the, their art. And then Henry Ford comes along and said, hey, let's have the, the assembly line. And everybody gets judged on doing the same task over and over the same way. And then you get measured on whether or not you do it the same way. And kind of what got lost is the real creativity is was when you know, the artisans all kind of did different ways. And what we see today in industry is like, oh, we've got to be able to make products that are unique. Even though they're on the assembly line, each one can be totally unique. And so it's almost like it's custom. Because that's actually what people want. They don't necessarily want it to all be the same. You see, people want customized solutions. They want customized medicine, customized food. Customized, they don't want it to actually just be the same thing. Because I don't I think, think that's our natural state is to have the same thing. <laughs> no, no, I think, we're, and I really believe we're heading there probably in a more miraculous and faster way than we realize, you know, with individualized uh, genetics and medicine and everything else. I really think we're making a full, you know, well, life is a pendulum, you know, <laughs> and there's no surprise there. We're just swung all the way back to march to the drums to back to being individualized. And I think it's a beautiful privilege to be alive right now, um, to be ushering that in, you know, the creativity and the power of individualized creativity and spirit and, and finding that why we don't have to be the same, we can be uniquely unified i guess would be my word you know uniquely unified and just through the energy of collaboration i think that's another aspect that i see surprises you know there's so much um competition that is dying out right now and it's a it's a painful i'm ukrainian so you know mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of speaking of grief grief that i process daily to be able to create but i'm very clear on what's happening i'm very clear on what's happening a tyrannic society is dying out, unfortunately, at a cost of my countrymen. 
but it is dying out nevertheless yeah. you know the suppression of freedom but, yeah that's a, that's a total loser you know strategy like the problem we have is in an age where things are shifting to individual kind of freedom you still have some structures that want to have this kind of top down they want to have that oligarchy or they want to have the totalitarian dictators. And we see it in the U.S. We got a certain class of people that want to have this kind of oligarchy, mm -hmm. that don't want to have the rule of law, that want to have it by a, a nation of men, not laws. They want, they you know, the whole thing of the U.S. was it's founded on a nation of laws, not men. But there's a certain group of people that want it to be a nation of men, not laws. Certain men have more power than other men and it really is dangerous you know because we're at this kind of flashpoint where there's the people who want it to be that way like 16th century 17th century they want to go backward they're going against the modern age the modern age is to not do that the modern age is to have the freedom to have the individuality to have people kind of propel themselves and there's certain people that don't want that and so i see the struggle that's going on with with your country uh you know that that is kind of part of the whole thing you know there's a kind of an, an issue around the world with that if you go you know you go to the east and go to the west there's different places you know in central america and africa there's certain people who are fighting kind of the the the, the tides of history tide of history is to go hunger yeah, it's that power it, hunger we were talking about, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's all happening for me. I mean, I'm going to make sure everybody keeps working for me, you know, not with me for common good or common goal. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But, you know, I think that the piece that I find is is in what you've said earlier, is that no matter what and how it is happening, I believe the process of individualized creativity, and I call it quantum freedom. You know, I have a subscription group called Quantum Freedom because it's a freedom that is born from within on a quantum level, which is the smallest level of a cork in your atom. Mm -hmm. And it expands infinitely, you know, and then it expands in your individual freedom and in your expressive freedom and so forth, financial freedom, if you will. But I truly believe that the expansion is irreversible. We have a universe to prove it. Yeah. If you know anything about what's Bang. happening astronomically, the it, universe is expanding. Yeah, it's like I mean, it, it is it, irreversible. Unless it hit the wall. Yeah. Well, there, there's hopefully you know there's this physics. Say you know it, the Big Bang's been expanding and it's expanding and it hasn't stopped. And then you get the naysayer because well, there's a wall somewhere. It's going to hit that wall and it's going to come back. But that's what some people want to believe. And other people would rather believe that it's going to keep on expanding and it's not going to hit a wall and come back and do another Big Bang. But, you know, there's some people that they want that. They want it to hit the wall and come back and do a Big Bang again. Which and you know, they want a wall because they're in their prison cell. <laughs> and the prison cell keeps the scared safe. You see, the concept is the same. You apply it to music. I apply it to personal growth. The cosmos is applying it to all of creation. But, you know, you are expanding. And 
we could we could get into the whole string theory and i this is what i ultimately believe is that as and what you believe becomes your reality even if it is not a reality for anybody else around you so what yeah, you choose well, to me. believe you're going to choose to create and then you're going to say see i was right so if you are that <laughs> one person in a billion that says the universe is going to hit the wall guess what for your little minuscule reality there will be a speck of the universe that will balance back i mean you know i'm just yeah. obviously exaggerating but the bottom yeah. line is whether you believe you will and can or whether you believe you cannot you're right you're right why not believe you can so yeah it's definitely it's a it's a totally expansive discussion because you know we it's a big bang and then we've talked about you know this the, the, all the different uh you know the sound wave theories and and just the connection like we're all electricity you know the idea that you know the family like a ghost was like the ghost in the machine like you know the what is that whether it's like that spark that, that, that there's electricity in that machine so does that mean it, you know there's electricity in me so does that mean it has some level of life and some people could say yeah it probably does so the idea that everything in the universe is kind of interconnected because of the energy flowing through it and you can pick up on it or, or not pick up on it and uh i think it's really cool that we've had this discussion i want to mention your website again uh u2shine.com and then if people go to u2shine.com what do they find there i think uh they're about to find as we're just posting a beautiful free community uh, on Facebook that we'll be putting on. I've had so many people ask me to teach on universal laws and I do that in our paid subscription group. And so what we're gonna do is create a, uh, a free group. Um, you will be able to join it by going freeme.coach. <laughs> what a surprise, <laughs> freeme.coach. And when you go there, you will find information on all of these universal laws of expensiveness. Once a week, I'll do a quick live talking about a, a different law and how mindful entrepreneurs and creatives can apply that law that week to achieve their dreams and to create a possibility for themselves. That's great. We love to have people, you know, check out further discussions that we've been having. And for those of you listening on audio, again, that's yu2shine.com, where you can go to there and click it when we get fully published on Facebook or YouTube or anywhere you listen or watch podcasts, because we're on multiple platforms. And uh, eventually, we'll, we're going to send you a landing page for your audience to so they can decide wherever they listen to podcast or watch podcast, they'll be able to see this episode and then click any of the links that are provided in the description. And that's one of them. So again, we do encourage uh, the listeners and watchers to check out the links we provide for, for episodes because that gives you a further uh, detail about what we've been talking about. Thank you. So th thank you very much for being on the show tonight. It's been really illuminating and as expansive as I always like it to be. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best. And I, I hope um, for your countrymen, everything is, 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 is going as well as it can be. We're all pulling for, for your freedom. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being a joke.